0: Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At Gut Check, we make it our business to understand brands, and over the years, we've learned that gutsy brands have a lot of common factors. In fact, we've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and demonstrate what we call the power of and, those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other brands rising to the ranks of gutsy. Gutcheck's CRO, Jess Gedeke, a former leader at Nielsen, had the chance to speak with Denise Woodard, the founder and CEO of Partake Foods. Partake Foods was inspired by Denise's daughter who has severe food allergies. The company was developed to create not only delicious, better-for-you allergy-friendly cookies to help people with food allergies, but to create a food that is so good that people who don't have to eat it out of medical necessity would choose to eat it. Now Partake Foods has expanded their offerings and is in more than 8,000 retailers. In today's episode, Jess learns from Denise all about the non-glamorous side of starting a business, about being the first Black woman to raise a million dollars for a food and beverage company, and about the steps she's taking to ensure the door is held open for other people of color who are interested in the food and beverage industry.
1: So Denise, I am so excited to be finally sitting down with you after connecting with you a few weeks ago. And as I've had the opportunity to do some of my own research on you and on Partake Foods, I just think you embody all of the characteristics that we love to talk about in terms of gutsiness. So welcome to the Gutsiest Brands podcast. We are so happy to have you.
2: Thank you so much, Jess. I'm so excited for our conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. And what I'd love to do is start at the beginning. So when we talked, you were describing your background. You're the daughter of an entrepreneur. You're the first person in your family to go to college. You were steered toward corporate America and seem to always have some sort of side hustle going on. And so I'm curious, what are some of your experiences growing up that contributed to you becoming an entrepreneur yourself?
2: Sure. Thanks. So Um, As you mentioned, I'm the daughter of an entrepreneur. My dad was in the US army for a time period and when he got out of the army, he became an over the road truck driver and eventually saved up enough money to buy his own truck and then multiple trucks and runs a small trucking company in my hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, I think a couple things that I saw from him throughout my entire life were If you had a problem, you didn't sit around and complain about it. You tried to do something to solve it. And I feel like my entrepreneurial venture, as we'll talk more about, um, really came from that same premise. I had a problem that I was facing in my family and we wanted to do something about it rather than sit around and wallow in our sorrows. But I think also through his entrepreneurial um, experience, I was able to see through a really strong work ethic and treating people fairly and honestly and kindly you could kind of chart your own path and create your own success. And that idea seemed really exciting to me.
1: Well, it certainly has played out in what you've been able to bring to the marketplace and bring to consumers all over the world. So I'm I'm so thrilled to have you telling your story today. So we have a lot of passion for brands and founders that lead with empathy, right? They keep that human need at the center of all they do and partake foods, champions food inclusivity. So I'd love for you to tell us the story of how Partake Foods came about and what it means in the everyday lives of your consumers.
2: Sure. So Partake came about The idea for Partake came about in the summer of 2016. My now seven-year-old daughter, Vivian, right around her first birthday, we learned that she's allergic to eggs and corn and tree nuts and bananas, which is a really odd, hard to shop for combination. And um, after hearing me complain about all the things I couldn't find for her, how the products that existed didn't meet her taste standards or my nutritional standards. And most of all, while I was thankful for the brands for providing a safe solution, I didn't feel like any of them would allow her to confidently participate in all the social events that involved food. And I dreamed of a brand that made products that tasted good, that had ingredients you could understand, but was cool enough that people who didn't have to eat it out of medical necessity would choose to eat it. And I complained and I complained and our nanny Martha, told me to do something about it. And she actually has some equity in the company. And and that's where the idea came to be. And so the idea of inclusivity was at the core initially because the name Partake came from this idea of me wanting Vivian and the 31 million other people in America with food allergies to be able to partake. But when we launched in August of 2017, I initially sold cookies out of my car in the New York City market where I live. And after doing hundreds of demos, what I learned was that there were a lot of other people who were interested in our product, that there was a really high barrier to entry with the food allergy consumer, that they didn't know our brand and that they didn't trust our brand. But there were these much broader consumer groups that wanted to support our brand. So it opened my eyes to how much broader our business could be. And through my experiences growing the business and fundraising as a Woman, as a pers- person of color, as a first-time founder, I started to realize that there's a whole bunch more people who need the opportunity to partake. And that's where this bigger idea of championing, championing inclusivity outside of just thinking about food allergies came from. And you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the conversation, but it comes to life through our support of food insecure families, um, our work around creating more diversity in the food space. Um, really, I think about it in every decision that I make when I think about all of our internal and external stakeholders, who we do business with, who we allow to invest in the company, who we hire, how we hire. Um, It's really important to me. I think it's good business and I think it's the right thing to do to, to really focus heavily on diversity and inclusion.
1: So it almost sounds like there's not any aspect of your business that doesn't lead with empathy. Is that fair? (laughs) It sounds about That's
2: the goal. That is really like every decision that we make. That's what I challenge myself and the team to think about. Mm
1: -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, the, the people that you do let invest in the company and who you hire and how you hire. Can you talk more about that? How do you identify people that you think will be on board with your mission and support your vision for the company?
2: Sure, I wish I could say I'd always thought about it that way. I remember in our seed round of funding, um, I got nearly a hundred no's before Marcy Venture Partners, uh, which Jay-Z co-founded said yes to us. And so um, at that point we were kind of, I I think (laughs) as as unfortunate as, as it is to say, I think I would have probably taken money from any investor at that point. And the way that serendipity worked out, we found phenomenal partners and that opened my eyes to how important it is to have the right investors around the table with you to help guide the business, to let you guide the business in the way that is the right way for the business to grow. Um, And so at our series A, after we had experienced a a good amount of growth, we were able to, to make the choice and choose investor partners that we wanted to work with. And so, you know, I was looking for ways that we could solve for opportunity areas, whether it was manufacturing or data around innovation, but I also wanted to make sure that we had mission and values aligned investors around the table um and i was just really frank about what we stood for like we don't get me wrong this isn't a nonprofit. like we are, are working towards a really healthy product 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 margin, excuse me and have had extreme growth over the past few years and don't let uh, don't plan for that to stop but i also think that you can do good while the business is doing well and i'm very transparent about that with our investors and i think that's where a lot of headache happens when there's a misalignment of expectations. And so I'm very transparent about that from day one. And so we've been fortunate to bring on funds like Black Star Fund and Black Capital Um, We had an all-women deal team on Circle Up. We've had investors like Rihanna and her join our business as investors. And so we've been able to attract a really diverse group of people who also bring strategic value, but are also mission and values aligned with our business. And in the how we hire, um, you know, we're also we're looking to fill for specific roles, but we also are asking culture fit questions about how people, the world and like don't get me wrong I want there to be a very strong diversity in thought I don't want everyone to have my same experiences or to look like me or to to ha- think the same things as me but I want to have a respectful group of people who want to improve the food industry and to want to help others while they do it
1: it sounds like a phenomenal setup for how you you evaluate investors but also folks that are going to be joining your team and um i think that i'd love to sit in on some of those interviews and see how you can extract some of that you know being from people so um that's great that's wonderful perspective in in terms of the early days and when you launched the business um you know you were originally funded by friends and family as you mentioned uh Martha is a is has some some uh, equity, which I absolutely love that idea. Um, how did you rally that support and give confidence in those early days that that investment would pay off? How did
2: you like instill that confidence in this bold idea that you had to launch the business? Sure. So we raised about four hundred thousand dollars in friends and family funding. Um, I use that term loosely because there's no accredited investors in my family. It was my colleague, my old colleagues, my husband's old colleagues. I remember someone's great aunt was so into the idea and probably became the biggest investor in that round. Um, And the way that I was able to rally confidence, I think people saw me and understood that I understood the business, but I also wasn't going to be outworked. There were so many sacrifices that I think our family made in the earliest of days. My daughter probably didn't go to a birthday party for two years because she worked local farmers markets and trade shows and and demos with my husband and I. My husband works in finance full time. He would show up um, in a suit and tie with a Partake t-shirt in his backpack. Like Our family was all in. We were so all in that I ended up selling my engagement ring to fund the business. And so I think people saw the passion and everyone knew that the North Star was much bigger, um, because it was about making something better for my daughter. She was like the inspiration behind the company. Um, and so I think people really believed in how much I believed in the business.
1: And you had a good mascot with Vivian along at all of those events to really yes, make Yes, that
2: helped. <laughs> <laughs> a cute kid always helps.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, We really like to honor brands that not only stand behind bold ideas and have that conviction, but also have the vision to pioneer a new path, a new way forward. And one of the most significant achievements that you shared with me was being the first Black woman to raise a million dollars. And I'd love for you to talk about that. What were some of the challenges that you overcame in order to do that? And then what does that really mean to you?
2: I was the first Black woman to raise a million dollars for a food and beverage company. And while I'm proud of that, I think it's a pretty dismal statistic given that Black women are starting companies at a rate faster than any other group in America. And through my experience, where I don't feel like I ever experienced blatant racism, but I just saw how big of a gap there was in the access that I had and the education that I had around venture capital and investors. And also because of this large racial wealth gap that exists in our country, I just didn't have people in my network um, that could invest in the business. And so what that means to me is I feel like I have a big responsibility to help steward and shepherd other women and other Black women, entrepreneurs, um, you know, I feel like we're in a very interesting moment right now after George Floyd was killed in 2020. I feel like whether it's investors or retailers, there is, you know, more awareness around, I think, the inequities that exist. And so it feels like there's an opportunity. And so I'm trying to hold the door open as wide as I can and help as many other founders through the door as possible, as quickly as possible, because I don't think it's for a lack of hard work or good ideas or good products. I think that there's just so many other things that exist in our society that make it really hard for women entrepreneurs for black women entrepreneurs to succeed and to excel.
1: Yeah, and there you've shown conviction as well, right founded Black features in food and beverage, that's a fellowship program that mentors HBCU students to really expand opportunities in the industry. So tell me more about that. What was the I think I can sense the inspiration of that, but maybe what what was the nugget of that idea and how did you bring that to life?
2: sure i think that whole like frustration breeds a good thing sometimes around here and so um you know in my experience uh in corporate america i was often frustrated by the lack of diversity that existed in management roles and i thought well when i start my own company it'll be different and then when i went to hire i needed folks who either had executive big cpg experience or had been at a fast growth startup and the applicant pool that fit those criteria was pretty homogenous, and I was frustrated. Um, and so I thought, what could I do about this? And so we launched the Black Futures in Food and Beverage Fellowship in September of 2020 alongside five historically Black colleges and universities. And we run an eight-week curriculum where we go through the nuts and bolts of the food industry, everything from brand marketing to food safety to sales. And then it culminates with what's been so far virtual, but hopefully will be in person this year, a career day where we we've had emerging brands but also large companies like PepsiCo and Shibani and Mars attend and we've helped our fellows find job or internship opportunities and i hope through that our through our program we're able to provide the access to education and mentorships and advocates and peer mentors that maybe was missing along my career journey that will hopefully change the face of the food industry
1: I imagine that your network only grows through those young individuals that are entering the workforce, but also connecting with some of the other founders that you admire uh, in the space. So it sounds like a wonderful network to be a part of. And it reminded me that you actually had a, a long career with Coca-Cola, right, in, in sales roles. And so I'm curious, how did that background influence your go-to-market strategy at, at Partake, kind of big CPG into um, you know the startup world?
2: Sure, I think there were things that I loved and wanted to take from that experience and other things that I probably would change. And so some of the things that I think have been really valuable are the processes. I think, you know, it's really fun as a startup to run around like your hair's on fire but also it's really important to have processes and to um, know how important food safety and quality and those things are and so um i think through my experience at coca-cola i was able to institute governance at an earlier stage than i think a lot of startups would have done but i also know that sometimes all of the endless meetings and trackers upon trackers create decision paralysis. And so what I wanted at my company was folks to feel empowered to make decisions and to feel autonomy and responsibility and a sense of ownership and for us to be able to be nimble and quick and agile in our decision making. Um, I think it also gave me a false sense of confidence. My last role at Coke was leading sales in their venturing and emerging brands group, where I got to work on amazing mission-oriented businesses like Honest Tea and Zico Coconut Water. And I knew enough to speak the lingo. I think I knew how to run a business. And then I got into actually running a business and realized that I understood sales fairly well, but I knew nothing about so many other facets of the business. But had I known how much I didn't know, I don't know if I would have ever gotten started. So it gave me enough false confidence to get out there and take the leap.
1: Yeah. So what were some of those false confidences? You know, you you mentioned you knew sales, but what were some of the other disciplines that you needed to hone as you took on the, the top boss job?
2: Man, oh man. I remember in the early days of Partake, I was embarrassed and I shouldn't have been, but I was embarrassed by how small the company was. And I created like an accounting at Partake email and a marketing at Partake email and all these different functional groups. So people would think that, that the organization was bigger than it was. And I had to learn all of those functional areas. I had to understand a balance sheet and a P and I had to understand marketing at a different level. Previously, these beautiful marketing programs would get shepherded down to me. If I had known the resources and the cost of associated with those, I would have realized that those were not going to be in my future anytime soon at a startup and had to really understand how to market bottom of funnel, grassroots in ways that were really cost effective um, in our earliest days of business. Um, I had to understand so much about operations, production planning, and um, the basics around quality and creating specifications and just all the pieces of running a business that I didn't know existed.
1: Mm -hmm. And so what were some of those? adaptations to the process that you, you, that you made in order to make it cost effective. Obviously selling Coke into retailers is very different than what you were doing when you launched partake. So what were some of those different tactics that you employed?
2: Sure. So We initially launched very small, just in the New York market stores that I could hand deliver to, because I knew that I could not afford to make any big mistakes. And so, because I could really wrap my arms around our whole distribution, I could understand the supply chain kind of from start to finish. And from a marketing perspective, I didn't have to do think about big fancy billboards or anything like that. I literally could go store to store and do demos. I could pass out coupons. I could hand out samples. And so I was able to take a very grassroots approach, I was able to go to local vegetarian or vegan or food allergy focused trade shows in my market area, because then I could send people directly to the 50 stores in the New York area that carried my product. But I knew that there were some places where I needed to invest, like I wasn't going to be there to sell the product off the shelf every single day. And so I needed packaging that stood out. And I couldn't afford a fancy agency, but what I could do is I could go on LinkedIn and look up every person who worked at that agency and see if anybody was open to a moonlighting gig. And that's how our packaging was just uh, designed the last two rounds. Um, I was able to you know, email people who were working at big companies but were maybe looking for a one to two hour a week weekend job and just like pick their brain. And so I was able to leverage people's experiences but in a fractional way, because I couldn't afford to hire like full-time employees.
1: You know, speaking of making this product work, and one of the characteristics that we talk about with gutsy brands is what we call the power of and, and what we mean by that is seeing opportunities where others force trade-offs. And if I think about partakes promise, right? It's to give delicious peace of mind to those with dietary restrictions And how is this so good enjoyment to everyone else? And so you're really delivering to both of those worlds. You don't sacrifice taste for nutrition or vice versa. So what does it take to deliver on this? And how do you approach product innovation in this, you know, no compromise type of way?
2: Sure thing. And so definitely to your point, the bar is, does it taste good? Not, does it taste good for allergy friendly and from a nutritional perspective? as a health conscious mom it's would i happily give this to my own child if not i shouldn't be giving it to anybody else um and thankfully we have a product developer who's been with us since day one Speaking of LinkedIn stalking people, I was able to find someone, um, and and she responded to my cold email, and we've been together ever since, and she's been able to bring my vision to life. Um, You know, we have a list of non-negotiables, whether it's around taste, ingredients we will use, ingredients we won't use, how we're going to source those ingredients. Um, It's really important to us that we keep our supply chain as clean as possible, given the allergen promises that we're making. Um, And we literally have a checklist that we're running through from a taste perspective, from a nutritional and ingredients perspective from a food safety perspective to understand, um, you know, what we can use to create the products. My daughter's probably still chief taste tester, but thankfully the team has expanded quite a bit and we have people with all kinds of dietary restrictions on the team. And so we're always having the team taste test the newest and greatest things. I think, you know, one of the things as a startup that we initially did was a lot of it was my gut feel, but now that we have the resources to be able to invest in data, it's our responsibility, I think, to also utilize the data to make decisions. So it's probably a combination of the two. Um, And, you know, I think it's really important to have focus. And so one of the things I learned through my experience at Coke is, you know, Coca-Cola can sell you a six pack of coke and a 12 ounce can of coke and a seven ounce can of coke and a 20 ounce bottle and similarly with cookies i think that there's a lot of room for us to play in terms of meeting consumers in different um whether it's at work or at school or at the airport in different parts of the store whether it's seasonal or whether it's the regular assortment and so it's one of the things that i learned from my experience at coke and it allows us to focus really heavily on our core product which is cookies um, and grow from there
1: So you mentioned more sophistication and more access to to data and insights. And I'm curious, because I've worked with a lot of um, challenger brands or small but growing, especially in the CPG world where you reach this level of growth where you really need the more sophisticated insights, but you're figuring out how to put those into practice. And you might be beyond that at this point, but I'm curious, how does that access to those insights change? How you think about innovation or how you think about marketing what does it do to your organization when you turn those on?
2: It's so valuable and I don't think you know until you until you've had like until you've had the data, I don't think you realize how valuable it is. Data's definitely been important to me from day one. Um, when I stopped selling cookies out of my car, the first retailers we went into were Whole Foods and Wegmans and we specifically sought out those retailers because they had data portals. Cause I could see the numbers on how I was performing and I could see what was performing well and what wasn't performing well. And then I could utilize that to make decisions. And similarly, it's how we think about you know, what skew, what flavors make sense, what retailers we're gonna go after, what competitors we need to have our eye on, what markets of the country are where we're strongest, where we need to invest more or invest less. And so we use it to make all of the decisions across our our marketing team. So
1: Partake partners with No Kid Hungry to fight food insecurity. And I'd love to hear from you what this partnership is about, how you bring it to life and, and what
2: impact it's had. Sure, so we uh, kicked off a national partnership with No Kid Hungry at the start of 2022. We're so excited. Um, We've committed to provide a million meals to food insecure kids across America Um, Unfortunately, there's 12 million kids in America that don't know where their next meal is gonna come from. And so since our earliest of days, um, fighting food insecurity and specifically childhood food insecurity has been something that's been really important to us. In 2021, we were able to support 56 regional organizations. And this year, we're really excited to kick off a national partnership with, with the No Kid Hungry team.
1: 56 different regions, did you say, around the US?
2: 56 different organizations, so 56 small local organizations we were able to support, Um, and this year uh, are partnering with uh, No Kid Hungry on a national scale.
1: Well, thank you for the work that you're doing in that space, and it's just so inspiring to see all the things that you as a person care about now come to life through your your brand and through your company, so brava and excellent work in that space. I'd like to go to our first lightning round. And so what I'm going to do, Denise, is ask you to name the first brand or campaign that comes to mind. This doesn't have to be your products. It can be something that you experience as a consumer, as a peer to some of the the founders in your network. No right or wrong answers. You just tell us which brand or campaign uh, comes to mind. The first is what's a brand or campaign that really demonstrates empathy, that they really get people?
2: Coca-Cola, they had an open happiness campaign. And I really, I remember that one um, very vividly. And I felt like it just worked. It it appealed to people from all different demographics.
1: And did you were involved in that? Or that's when you were as a consumer observing that brand?
2: I think I was the consumer observing that brand. I definitely wasn't working on trademark Coke at the time. I can't remember if I had moved over to the Venturing and Emerging Brands Group or if I had uh, moved on to to sell cookies.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a great campaign, though. What's a brand or campaign that you think of as pioneering that really created a new way of thinking or doing business? I
2: think of Patagonia. And I don't know if it's because I'm just like more aware now, but I feel like the way that they're able to do good and be so transparent about it and stand up for what they believe is right, um, I'm hoping becomes table stakes for what consumers start to expect from brands. I think there has
1: been greater expectation and scrutiny of brands to really live those promises. So I agree with you. I think that we'll see more of that. And that's a great brand to, to pay some homage to. How about a brand or campaign that stands behind bold ideas, even if it's not popular at the time?
2: Chibani. Um, We were fortunate enough to be in the Chibani incubator uh, in 2018. Um, and I remember Hamdi Ulukaya, the founder, taking a really strong stance around hiring refugees and supporting refugees. And I think he received a lot of blowback and he didn't waver from that stance and they still haven't wavered from that stance. And I feel like they're a fantastic example of a founder led company that leads with their values and stays true to their values.
1: And it really hasn't changed. She really does stay that course. That's a fantastic example. And what about this power of and? Can you think of a brand or a campaign that sees opportunity where others force compromise?
2: That's a tricky one. Um, One brand that I think of, and it's a a challenger emerging brand, so I, I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but it's a brand called Ciete Foods. Um, And my daughter actually has a corn allergy, and so that's why we got introduced to it. But the products are delicious and work for people with a myriad of dietary restrictions and are very true to the family's Mexican-American heritage. Um, So I am a huge supporter of that brand.
1: Do you happen to know that CEO where we could interview them and hear about their gutsiness on this podcast?
2: I don't know them very well, but it's Miguel and, uh, Miguel and Victoria Garza, and I'm just such a, a huge fangirl of theirs.
1: And I'm glad your daughter can have a lot of different options. That's one of the, the joys of today's marketplace, that luckily there are people with purpose that are able to bring some of these products to market. So that that's um, what it's all about when it comes to innovation. So let's do the spill your guts round. This is all about you. Have fun with it. So what's the first brand you remember as a child and why was that memorable?
2: I actually remember McDonald's and I remember the McDonald's in my neighborhood had, I don't even know what you call those, like a little playground. And my mom would take me occasionally to have a happy meal and to go play. And it was like such simple joy. Mm -hmm. So the experience
1: even more so than the nuggets maybe at the time. Definitely. What book or movie best represents your career journey?
2: There's a book by the founder of It Cosmetics called Believe It. Um, Jamie Kern Lima is the author, and she writes about her experience in building um, it from a startup to over a billion dollar acquisition. And I think she's so vulnerable about the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome and the hard times. I think often right now, um, entrepreneurship is so glamorized. And while there's a lot of really fun parts of this journey, it's not that glamorous. And I think it does a really great job um, telling people to, you know, to believe in yourself if if you have a bigger North Star, but also sharing that it's normal to have hard times on these journeys. Such as uh,
1: selling your engagement ring to fund the business. (laughs) Exactly. What's one piece of advice that you would give a business leader that's looking to help their brand be gutsy?
2: I would say it's okay to start small. I remember when we launched the Black Futures in Food and Beverage Fellowship Program, we were only a team of three. We were only going to work with five schools. And I was like, is this worth it? Should we do this? And then last year we worked with a hundred schools and this year we're going to support so many more students. And so I think it's sometimes biting things off in small pieces that allows you to have success um in the out years and the same we saw across our business in the earliest days it was you know selling cookies out of the car the first year and going to a regional grocery the next and now we're in ten thousand stores what is the most used
1: emoji on your
2: phone the heart i am a very big exclamation point heart heart emoji kind of person
1: and is it the red heart or do you vary the color
2: I'm a classic red heart kind of gal. I
1: can't read too much into all these, the color schemes. I'm like, if it's my heart, it's my heart. There's no, no. Exactly. Okay, good. I'm glad I I found a a kindred spirit there. (laughs) And we are compiling a gutsy brand playlist. What song would you add to that playlist?
2: Beyonce, I was here. I often think about how it's easy to make short-term decisions, but like everything I do, I really want to be tied to the legacy that I want to leave. And so I think listening to that song makes me really think about this longer-term vision and view and, and what is really important.
1: That's so inspiring. And that's our second Beyonce song that's on our playlist. So you'll have to listen to the rest to know what the other ones are. I love that I know your nanny's name now, too. I'm like, that is, (laughs) I just love it. Um, That's fantastic. So. Denise, this has been such an inspiring conversation for me. I learned a lot from your lessons and I think our our listeners absolutely will as well. And thank you for being part of our Gutsiest Brands podcast. We wish you all the success in the world for you and
2: for Partake. Thank you so much, Jess. I'm gonna go check out the Gutsiest Brands playlist. I need to hear what's on it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. I loved this interview. So many amazing products come out of similar situations like this, where somebody is solving their own life problem, and it has this great opportunity to solve it for all these other people. And then it makes us feel good about investing in a product that's not just a luxury, but an actual need for some people.
1: I totally agree. And so many of these gutsy founders have innovated from their own experiences, which if you think about it, comes with built-in empathy. So it's no surprise that these brands really resonate with people.
0: True. So let's get into it. What are some of your favorite takeaways from today's episode?
1: Well, first of all, I was just so incredibly impressed and loved listening to Denise's stories because she's built upon so many different experiences from her past to create this company and this environment that Um, is pretty magical. So I I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And one of the first things she shared really, really hit me. She said, you know, when you see a problem, go solve it. That's something that her dad taught her. It's something that her nanny told her, which I loved it. Stop complaining, go develop a solution. And that attitude and inspiration really being the start of partake foods. Um, So I found that to just be something that she said initially that was so memorable. But also how that translates to the Black Futures in Food and Beverage Fellowship program. I'm just so excited to for our listeners to hear about all the great things that she's doing. It seems like I don't know how how much time she has in her day or how much <laughs> Not <a> energy. Lot. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, but just so many important things she's involved in.
0: I know it's so cool to see someone work really, really hard and achieve this amazing business that's so successful. And for a lot of people, that's the end goal, but it seems like, no, that's not enough. She's taking it further by working to introduce people of color to the food and beverage industry. And that's amazing. I love that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And another piece that really struck me from the conversation was how Denise talked about non negotiables, right? In this case, one of the non negotiables for the business are ingredients that they just won't include under, under any circumstance in their products, also protecting their, their development process, their manufacturing process to ensure that all products are allergen free. I love this idea of having those non-negotiables and making sure that you don't compromise on those as you, you know, execute your business. I just thought that was really, really important and a sign of, of
0: gutsiness and integrity and uh, a company you can trust for the people buying from it. So it's really mm-hmm. important.
1: Yeah. And I also really admired that all the investors and the employees, they're part of the company's mission. She mentioned that after their series A, they were able to be much more discerning that the values of their investors align with their values as a company. And I think that is so important and sometimes overlooked when it comes to business. So if I were to reflect on some of the things that tie back to the characteristics of a gutsy brand. Clearly, empathy. Right? Empathy impacts every business decision they make, from the ingredients that they use in their products to what investors they bring on board to the causes they support. And I really liked the commercial, you know, edge that Denise said. Quick to remind, this is not a nonprofit, but you can do good at the same time.
0: Right? It's not an either or. I love that.
1: Yep. And you know, one of the things that we probably could have spent a whole episode on, um, if you think about it, is Denise's it. Denise is, it her experience as being the first black woman to raise $1 million for a food and beverage company. As she said, it's something she is proud of and should be proud of, but it's also a dismal statistic. And she's pioneering new paths with her fellowship program, creating the next generation of talent from HBCUs. That responsibility to help steward that community, it's just, it's so impactful and such a way to give
0: back. It is. And it's not only impressive to have done that, but to also, you know, open the door and keep it open for black women, which, you know, that is, it's very hard to get into being a business owner when you're a black woman. So I think that was so fantastic that she called that out. And, you know, the idea of standing behind bold ideas, there's a non-glamorous side
1: of startups that Denise talked about selling your engagement ring, the sleepless nights, the selling cookies out of the back of your car. I love that she said, I wasn't going to be outworked. I just loved the way she said that. And um, I I think having that conviction and having that dedication is so important when you're launching a brand.
0: Yeah. It was a bit of an eye-opener, at least for me and probably some of our listeners who haven't been in the early days of a startup, but that one made me raise my eyebrows because I'm like, wow, it is a lot of sacrifice. And I have to think she's picked out a good ring since then, now that she's so (laughs) successful.
1: Hopefully, hopefully she is able to treat herself. (laughs) And, you know, overall the concept of partake foods, it, it embodies the power of and right. It's it's, does it taste good? Not does it taste good for allergy friendly? And I think that her obsession with that point is one of the reasons that partake will continue to succeed and have really exciting product innovation.
0: Absolutely. It's incredibly important. And I can think of a lot of brands that are healthy or low ingredient, uh, but they don't necessarily achieve that. So I think that's uh, going to set them apart for sure. Overall, I really enjoyed the conversation with
1: Denise and I admire how she is holding the door wide open for others. She's using all the experiences that she's had to not only scale her own business, but nurture a community of future business leaders. And who knows, um, maybe we can have some of them on this podcast in the near future. Definitely.
0: Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.